Welcome to The Legal Lowdown. I'm your host, Diana Bodette, and joining me today is employment and education attorney Greg Vandeneichel to talk about the proposed Massachusetts COVID-19 emergency paid sick leave law. And that law is not yet passed, as I understand it. So we're going to kind of talk loosely around if it is to pass, what changes does that mean for employers and employees and how should employers prepare? Greg, welcome. Thanks for joining me this morning. Excellent. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure. We'll jump right in. Who will benefit from this new emergency paid sick leave law? Yeah. So let me just take a quick step back and kind of give you a kind of sense of how we got here and what this is. And then we can talk about who it applies to and who's going to benefit from it. So as, as many people know, during 2020, the federal government implemented the Families First Coronavirus Response Act. FFCRA. And that provided emergency paid sick leave and expanded FMLA uh, for various COVID-19 reasons. That federal leave expired on December 31st, 2020, and it became voluntary for employers of fewer than 500 employees uh, beginning January 1, 2021. So in, in early 2021, through the spring thus far, the Massachusetts legislature had been debating this idea and this, 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 emer- this statewide emergency, COVID-19 emergency paid sick leave had been percolating in order to fill the gap between those for, for this type of le- COVID-related leave because a lot of employees now no longer had this type of benefit available to them. So it all kind of came to a head in, uh, on April 1st when Governor Baker signed an omnibus statute that related to COVID measures. That impacted um, unemployment insurance and other unemployment benefits, and it also included this COVID nineteen emergency paid sick leave. Now, what happened was he actually used his line item veto to propose amendments to this particular section of the omnibus law and returned it to the legislature. And we'll go into some of the the discrepancies between the legislature's version and what Governor Baker may want. So, to your point at the beginning, this law is not in effect yet. Um, but it is likely coming down the pike and, you know, use this opportunity to update employers and let them know how to prepare themselves. Yeah, I was just going to ask, how imminent do you think that the law is, will be passed? That's a great question. <laughs> Any legislation can um, you know, take forever or it can happen immediately. We just don't know. What we do know is that I think both the legislature and Governor Baker want to implement something like this. And the details that need to be ironed out don't seem like we are in two separate ballparks. So I, I would have to imagine it's going to happen relatively soon. Like I said, he, he signed the overall bill on April 1st and returned this the line item veto items to, to the legislature shortly thereafter. Um, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if something is uh, back on his desk within the next week. Oh, okay. Okay. All right. So can we go back to then who would benefit from it? Absolutely. See, I got us so far down a different path. And now, <laughs> now we're back to your original question. So, who would benefit it? So this, the emergency paid sick leave applies to all Massachusetts employers, uh, whether regardless of size and private and public employers. So all employees would benefit from it. Where the distinctions come into play is how uh, employers may be uh, reimbursed, if at all, for um, the benefits that they uh, provide to the employees. But under this statute, essentially all Massachusetts employees would be entitled to paid leave depending on their um, on their employment status. So it applies to full-time, part-time, flexible schedule employees. And we can kind of go into some of those details as we, as we go on. But the, the short answer is everybody benefits. Okay. Everybody benefits and every employer is required to offer it. 
Correct. Okay. And under what circumstances, you know, what does it cover in terms of, is it COVID-19 illness? Is it asymptomatic, quarantining? And I also wanted to ask about documentation. Is that going to be required? So, like, like I said at the outset, this is uh, this is largely the uh, the state relative of the Families First Coronavirus Act, and so it follows the federal law and the emergency paid sick leave qualifying reasons uh, pretty closely. So, in order to obtain the benefits of Massachusetts' proposed COVID nineteen emergency paid sick leave, the employee would either have to be um, isolating or seeking medical diagnosis or treatment for his or her own COVID nineteen symptoms would have to be subject to a quarantine order, um, would have to be taking care of a family member's uh, COVID-19 symptoms or treatment, taking care of a family member who's subject to a quarantine order, or this is one of the new additions, um, if the employee is needs leave related to obtaining a COVID-19 vaccine or to recover uh, due to any injuries, illnesses, or disabilities related to a COVID-19 vaccine. The leave does not apply, though, if you are taking care of a family member who, if you like, have to drive a family member to get their, his or her vaccine, or if you have to take care of a family member who unfortunately gets sick after the vaccine. The vaccine-related leave benefits apply only to the employee himself or herself. You could also obtain the leave if the employee is unable to telework, and that's defined as basically essentially having an agreed-upon working situation with your employer where you know you work remotely, but you actually have work mm-hmm. to do. Um, if you're unable to telework because of COVID nineteen, these leave benefits would be available to you. Okay, and is that also the case for the vaccine? So the vaccine, the vaccine related reasons are limited only to obtain the vaccine, or time that you need out of the office for the vaccine, or time to recover from the vaccine. You know, if I guess there could be kind of a, an interplay between you know I can't telework for these five hours because I'm going to get the vaccine. But I think the the qualifying reason there would be obtaining the vaccine, not because you couldn't telework. Yeah. Okay. Can you define family member? Yeah. So family member is uh, is defined as spouse or domestic partner, child, grandchild, the employee's parent, the uh, the employee's grandparent, the parents of a spouse or domestic partner, so that the employee's in laws. Um, or the siblings of a um, of an employee, it, so it's not your spouse or domestic partners' uh, siblings, but only your siblings. So it, it, the, those are specifically defined in the statute, and that and they mirror a lot of other Massachusetts and federal um, definitions of a family member. Okay, so no surprises. Um, uh, no, no real surprises. Yeah. All right, and then what can employers do in terms of requesting documentation? Yeah, so it's a lot. It, the The statute is not the Massachusetts statute is not as specific on the documentation issue as other uh, as the Families First Coronavirus Act or even as the Massachusetts Paid Family and Medical Leave Act. But um, it would be a best practice to maintain documentation as you were if you qualified under the Families First Coronavirus Act. Just for because you're going to be your employee as an employer, you may be entitled to a reimbursement or possibly a tax credit, depending how all of this plays out between Governor Baker and the legislature. And to justify those those reimbursements, um, you're going to need some documentation. And the Massachusetts Executive Office of Labor and Workforce Development has been charged with implementing this law, and they are they are going to be uh, drafting a form that's going to that employees are going to have to complete and submit 
um, that's going to collect certain information, you know, name, reason for leave, a statement from the employee that if he was unable to, he or she was unable to telework. There is in the statute, there is a specific uh, notation that if you if you are requesting leave under this law for quarantine related reasons, you know, because you're subject to a local order, you would have to identify the name of the government agency that issued the quarantine, how long you were going to be quarantined and, and, and information like that. But, um, you know, my, my recommendation to clients is document as much as you can. You're entitled to ask for information uh, related to why the person is seeking leave under this statute. Um, if you're collecting, if you happen to collect any medical information, like somebody says, oh, I'm getting a vaccine, here's a copy of my proof of vaccine. You don't necessarily want the specific medical information because that's confidential. But anything that you get needs from the employee needs to be maintained separate and apart from the employee's personnel file. Um, it is confidential information, and um, it should be essentially, if you are subject to FMLA, traditionally, should be kept in that manner in the sense that it's not a personnel record, but it's, a, it's an employee medical file. Okay. And also in my reviewing of the proposed law, it seemed that they touched a little bit on my view was concerns about not being discriminatory. So is it, um, would you recommend that employees be very careful that they're consistent? Just every level of employee you request the same information from? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think that's going to be critical, particularly because the statute really does impl- apply across the board. There's no, you know, some, sometimes there are exceptions, and this is not a statute where, you know, you may you may get an employee asking for like a reasonable accommodation because you're giving the benefit to the employee. You're not you're not changing the workplace structure. So, from the top of the employee chain to the to the bottom, I would you know, you know treat everybody uniformly. Have a uniform policy as to the documentation you're going to collect documentation that you're going to request. Just make sure that everybody is on the same page as to what is expected expected of them. This also flows, although not specific in this statute, it's just something to consider. In the Biden administration, recent expansion and continuation of the Families First Coronavirus Act, they do have specific non-discrimination language in that statute where you're not allowed to provide these benefits where it may favor highly compensated employees or employees with greater tenure. So just something to keep in mind while that's on a specific avenue or a specific um, clause in this, a provision in this statute, it's just best practice. And so as not to open up yourself to any sort of type of discrimination claims to, to uh, treat everybody equally. Yeah. Okay, great. And if an employer, you know, say they refuse outright or unwittingly deny an employee, the paid leave, what kind of legal action do employees have that employers can anticipate? Yeah, yeah. So there's no good question. There's no exception in this in the statute for, you know, allowing, giving an employer grounds to refuse to provide the leave. So if, and there's also no penalty provision in the statute, which is kind of unique. Usually these types of statutes say, you know, violation of this, of this law will be subject to the terms and conditions of XYZ other statute. But from what I've seen in uh, other laws that have recently been passed, leave laws in Massachusetts, I would have to imagine that uh, an employee who was denied benefits would have claims under uh, the Massachusetts Wage Act, which could, you know, could subject an employer to not only having to pay the, the leave benefits, but attorney's fees and uh, mandatory triple damages. So, you know, there's some risk there. Depending on the circumstances of, of, of why an employer denied the, the leave benefits, um, you could be subject to uh, discrimination claims um, if, if the employee was arguably in a protected class. And the other issue is that the, the statute itself does contain non-retaliation provisions. 
So, you know, if there was a circumstance where an employee asked for these benefits, you said no, the employer said no and said, in fact, I'm going to demote you or some other advert took some other adverse employment action that would likely be considered retaliation. And that would be violative of, of this statute and, and definitely subject the employer to potential litigation. OK. And does that is that also the case if the employer allows the leave, the employee takes it, but then the employer decides that that was somehow some kind of weakness on their part? Yep. So you, the employer cannot retaliate against the employee for anything related to taking uh, the leave under this statute. So requesting the leave, taking the leave, complaining about how the leave policy is being implemented, that those could all be subject to retaliation claims. Okay. Okay, great. Can we get into sort of the nitty gritty on what this leave looks like? You know, how many hours are employers required to give each level of employee for the paid leave. Absolutely. That's why everybody tuned into the podcast, right? For, for the numbers, right? <laughs> All right. Um, should we wait until the very end? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. The anticipation may be too much. So like, as I said, the, the act applies to all employees, regardless of status and regardless of how long the employee has been working with you as an employer. So for full-time employees, they're entitled up to 40 hours or, or five days of paid leave under this statute. Part-time employees um, who work a regular schedule, you know, it's been agreed upon, and they work just fewer than forty hours uh, per per week. They are uh, eligible to receive the number of hours of paid leave that are equivalent to the average hours they work over the two-week period prior to requesting the leave. So, if you know, if you work on average twenty-five hours every week, you'll get twenty. You're, you're entitled to twenty-five hours of leave under the statute. And then there's also those employees who work flexible schedules, you know, not as consistent as the 25-hour a week part-time employee. They are entitled, still entitled to leave. There's two options for them. They, the, the employer can calculate it based upon six-month average. So for the six months prior that they requested uh, the leave, you know, you take pick the average of, of the hours that they worked over those six-month period, and that would be how many hours that employee gets. Obviously. If you know, the person worked 80 hours in one week and 20 hours another week, and somehow the average went above 40, the max would be 40, period. But if an employee hasn't been employed with you for, for six months, the employer is entitled to say, all right, well, I reasonably expect you to work, you know, 10 hours this week, 20 hours next week, take the average of that. That's, that's the amount of hours you would get under the statute. So that's a little bit more um, cloudy, but, you know, the, the, leave, the leave is available. Okay. And then can, you know, we mentioned sort of any kind of tax benefits or aid for employers. And, you know, I think I read that there's a fund that's potentially being set up to help employers. Can you give us some information about that? Yeah, yeah. So we'll take a, take a quick step back. Obviously, the first question is, how much leave can I take? The second question is, well, how much, how much am I going to get paid while I'm taking this leave? So the employers are required to pay the employee and this is, let me take another step back. This is one of the issues that the legislature and Governor Baker are going back and forth on. So this is not specifically finalized, but you're, the employee is entitled to receive no more than 850 hours per week. Okay. And that's the most that would... Hours or dollars? Dollars, sorry. That's okay. Sorry. <laughs> sorry. The benefit is $850. Okay. And that's the mo- that's also the most that the that the state will will reimburse an employer, and during but during the leave, the employees are also entitled to their full benefits. Um, so the, the employer can't say, "All right, when well, you're on leave, I'm going to 
hold off, you know, healthcare or whatever, you know, you also get to accrue whatever PTO you would accrue as if you were, as if you were working full time. Employers are allowed to provide more than $850. That's under the employer's discretion. You just won't get it reimbursed for that $850. So the issue, uh, the other, the other thing that they're going back and forth is the legislature and the legislation they provided to, to um, Governor Baker, it was employees would be paid 100% their regular wages for any qualifying reason under this leave. Governor Baker has suggested that he wants to align the pay rate to mirror the Families First Coronavirus Act. Under that, it would be if an employee takes leave under the Massachusetts law for any reason related to that employee, him or herself. So immunization, own sickness, uh, own quarantine, the employee would be paid 100% of his wages. If the employee was taking care of a family member or was uh, who was sick or who was isol- quarantined, the employee would be, would be paid two-thirds of his or her wages. So that's an area that needs to be ironed out. Um, and I think that was just Governor Baker's thought there was to just make it easier, I think, for the employers who are used to, who have, may have been in, implementing uh, Families First benefits to, to kind of just continue with the state benefits. The fund that you mentioned, I've, I haven't, it's not in the statute specifically, but I've read articles that it appears that the, this fund is going to be about a $75 million fund and employers will you know, submit documentation to the, um, to the executive office of labor and workforce development and say, all right, you know, employee X is requesting leave. Please reimburse me for this out of, out of the fund. Governor Baker wants to actually simplify or what he says is simplify it. And he wants to give a $40 tax credit per employee regardless of whether or not an employee takes the leave and it's going to be a flat tax credit and that's how the reimbursement would happen so this reimbursement process this tax credit process is going to going to be finalized when the statute is finalized the catch here is that employers with fewer than 500 employees are not entitled to the reimbursement and likely won't be entitled to the tax credit if that's the way uh, it plays out because the, the logic under the under the Massachusetts statute is that they those employees are allowed, although it's voluntary, they are allowed to provide FFCRA, Family First Coronavirus Leave, and get tax credits under that statute. So um, the tax credits and the reimbursement will be entitled will be available to employers in Massachusetts with 500 or more employees. Um, and this is this is going to be I, th- I think confusing. Particularly where there are some employer, there are some employee, many employers uh, with fewer than 500 employees who have elected not to continue FFCRA benefits. They have to comply with the Massachusetts statute still, yet they're not going to get a tax credit. So that that leaves them, particularly you know, particularly small businesses who who do not continue FFCRA, they're going to be kind of in a lurch from a budget perspective. And so that may get ironed out. It may not. Not specifically something I've read that is at issue, but. Um, the, the the tax credit proposal by by Governor Baker may, may somewhat resolve this issue. So the, the, it's an important issue that's left to left to be seen. Yeah, for the qualifying employers that could get reimbursed from the fund, is the tax credit in addition to the fund or in place of? I'm not exactly sure yet. <laughs> One of the things we're going we're going to see. And from what I have read, it's not clear how they want to have the two may work together. Or they may not work together. More to come. <laughs> and did they set out any specific guidelines for 
employers' requirements in terms of communicating all of this to the employees? Yeah. So once this becomes effective, um, whenever that is, um, the Massachusetts Executive Office of Labor and Workforce Development is supposed to draft and create a an employee notice. So think of what we, you know, what, what employers put in their in their office kitchens, so that you know, workplace safety type notices, stuff like that. Um, and that, and employers are supposed to are require are going to be required to notify employees of the availability of this leave within seven days of the effective date of the law whenever it passes. Now, whether or not the official government notice is going to be published and ready to go within seven days of the uh, of the effective date of the law, that's a different question. But employers should should prepare now, knowing that this is likely to to pass sometime soon, um, to to notify employees of of the potentially available benefits. Um, and under the law, since we're living in a, in a remote world right now, still. Um, you can either post a notice in a conspicuous location in the office, or you are specifically allowed to email the, the notice to all employees, making sure that they all receive them. Or if you have a workplace portal, you know, where employees log in to, to, for time, purpose, time, time card purposes or other purposes, so long as you have the, this specific notice at a, in a conspicuous spot. So like on, on your landing page for the portal, once you log in or something okay. like that. Okay. Um, so, I know we're in a standstill at this point until things are finalized. What do you recommend employers do uh, in the meantime? Is there anything, any preparation that should be made or should it truly just be try to get yourself up to speed and uh, in terms of information and then just wait? Yeah. So I think given the uncertainty as to when uh, there's going to be a final bill, I think employers may be best served by preparing now, updating your policies. Now, this is likely coming. This isn't, I don't think this is just going to be said, oh, you know, we don't agree. Let's, let's move on. There, there's too much public interest in this um, from, from lobbying groups and from, you know, employers and employees. Um, so it, it's coming. I think, I think, so my recommendation to clients is let's, let's become familiar with the leave requirements, update your policies. You may need to create a new policy, or this is maybe something that you can, you know, add to a family's first coronavirus policy or your existing PTO policy, depending on how those are drafted. But um, take a look at what's new in this law, particularly leave related to um, immunizations for an employee. Most employers probably don't have that as a specific policy yet because it wasn't required to make to provide paid leave. Um, so update the policies. I think talk to your benefits providers, your payroll providers, and talk to them about you know how we can hit the ground running because it is likely it, it is likely that you're going to have to notify employees within seven days of, of the effective date, and then likely start implementing and allowing the benefits within ten days of the um, effective date of the law because that was the original intent on April first was that this would all go into play I think on April twelfth because that was a Monday or something like that. So I, I don't think this is a sit and wait situation. I think if, if employers are aware of this, that you know. Start start moving, and if you're not aware of it, talk to friends and be, you know and and see what you can do to to get ahead of of this. Great, and anybody listening can keep an eye on our website bglaw.com or search for us on social media Barton Gilman, and we'll definitely put out information as soon as the law is passed and put out a write up with more information about that. And you're welcome also to reach out to Greg if you have any questions in the meantime um, or after the law passes. 
Um, Greg, thanks so much for joining me today. This is an important topic, um, an emergency topic, and I'm glad we could talk about it so quickly. Uh, absolutely. At any time. You know, there's nothing better than talking about yet another paid leave benefit. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. The content provided in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to constitute legal advice or to form an attorney-client relationship. If you would like to seek legal advice from a Barton Gilman attorney, please visit us at www.bglaw.com or call 888-273-9903 for more information. Barton Gilman serves clients throughout the Northeast with offices in Boston, Providence, and New York, offering legal services in a wide variety of matters, including medical and other professional liability defense, premises liability and business litigation, education law, employment, family law, insurance coverage, trust and estates, criminal defense, corporate formation, and intellectual property. The firm and its attorneys have received numerous awards and accolades, including best lawyers, Best Law Firms, Best Places to Work Rhode Island, Outstanding Philanthropic Business, the Common Good Award, and Super Lawyers. For more information about Barton Gilman, please visit our website at www.bglaw.com or call us toll-free at 888-273-9903.